At the most basic level, DNA determines who we are, what we look like, the texture of our hair, the color of our eyes, the tone of our skin. DNA reveals relationships and tells the story of our ancestry, your mother's nose, grandfather's eyes, your uncle's smile. In the same way, your DNA forms who you are at a cellular level. This is true for every local congregation as well. You see, every church, including ACAC, has DNA that directs it. Building blocks that make up our identity, distinctives that define what is important to us, our vision, our mission, our values. The DNA of the church is evident in everything we do. Traces of it are left behind in every place we've been, in the smallest, seemingly inconsequential ways. It is replicated as each of us bind together as family, a family of one, serving the north side of Pittsburgh and beyond to change the world. And although we have a beautiful diversity and complexity within our family, the core of who we are, our mission remains the same, to follow Jesus in diverse community so the world will know the good news. Amen. DNA, the essence of who we are. I'm going to ask that they put these five markers, these five characteristics of our DNA that we're looking at through these five weeks and Go ahead and entertain me, if you will. Let's say them together. I want them to sink deep into our heart and to our spirit. We are spirit-led. We pursue God's presence and proclaim his truth. We love people where they are. We are a diverse community of faith, and we strive to become more like Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest. There wasn't a lot of energy behind that. I'm not going to have us redo it, but these are so important. They're so critical to understanding as we talk about who God has called us to be. What is the unique characteristics of this congregation? What is our DNA? And so the Lord has led us to these five, and we've been going through them one by one. And tonight we're going to look at we love people where they are. Now, one of the things that I love when it comes to movies, I don't know if anyone else is like this, I love suspense movies. Is anybody with me? I mean, the kind of movies that like you're watching and like an hour and 15 minutes, you think you have it all figured out and then everything changes in the last two minutes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I'm, I'm, if you've not seen this movie, I'm just gonna spoil it from you, for you, so just forgive me, but that's all right. It was from 2004 and one of the writers and producers, his name is M. Night Shyamalan and he's really good at writing these kind of suspense type of movies. And there was a movie that he did in 2004 called The Village. And you don't have to raise your hand if you saw it, but there's a point behind all of this. And here's kind of the theme or the essence of the movie, if you will. It was, the movie starts and you find that there's this Puritan-like village. And you get the idea that it's set in about the 18th century. And in this community, there are very clear and very strict moral boundaries. There is a lot of respect. I mean, kids are like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I mean, nothing like is today. That was a joke. There's no crime at all. And it's a very, it, it's a community that has a very Amish-like innocence to it. Well, 
throughout the movie, at one point, and this is one of those twist turns, you eventually discover that this is not taking place in the 18th century, but it's actually taking place in modern times. And you find out that this village, hence the name of the movie, is an isolated community experiment in modern society. They have blocked themselves away. They've hidden themselves away from all of the culture and the evil in the world. And the reason that this happened is because the elders of this community, they all had a unique story in which their lives had been desperately hurt and changed because of evil in the world. They had lost loved ones. They had suffered pain and harm hardship. So eventually they created this place away from the rest of the world to protect themselves from all of the evil in the world. So what's the point of that? Oftentimes, if we really think about it and if we're really candid with ourselves, Jesus followers do the same thing. We create spaces, we create village-like atmospheres where we shelter ourselves or we think we can shelter ourselves from all of the evil that's happening in the world. However, God has not called his people to hunker down and just wait for his trumpet to blow and his return comes. God has not called us to be a hunkered down people. Now, if that word hunkered down is a little odd to you, I spent a lot of time in Texas and my family's in Texas and when there's a hurricane that comes, you hunker down, okay? And what that means is you, you just hide away. But oftentimes as Christians, and sometimes as a church, we hunker down. We get with our own, thinking that we can keep ourselves safe from the evil of the world. But God does not call us to hunker down. He calls us to go, and he calls us to engage with the world in which we live. Hence, that brings us to this marker, this characteristic of our DNA, which is we love people where they are. We're going to explain and break that down, what it means to love people where they are. But last week, we looked at a familiar story about the Samaritan woman at a well. And we're going to look at another really familiar story. It's a Sunday school story that if you were in Sunday school, you probably knew. It's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. So if you have that, you can look at it. They're going to put it on the screen. And this is the story of Zacchaeus. How many of you know the story of Zacchaeus? Okay, I figured most of you do. If not, it's a great story. If you don't know what it, we're going to dive right into it. So let's look. We're going to go a little bit verse by verse. So Luke 19, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this. Jesus entered Jericho. He entered a city named Jericho, and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. The Bible says that he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. So two things. Jesus goes to Jericho, and we find out there's a man there named Zacchaeus who is a chief tax collector. Okay, so a couple things about Jericho. Jericho was a very significant and wealthy town in the Roman Empire. It's located just northeast of Jerusalem, and it's real close to the Jordan River. So because of its location, its proximity, Jerusalem and the Jordan River, um, this was a city that was very highly taxed by the Roman Empire. And the way that the Roman Empire handled tax was they would assign, they would designate a tax for a particular city or region. And so because Jericho was such a significant and wealthy place, the taxes designated to this area would have been a lot. 
And so kind of like we have collection agencies in the United States, what the Roman Empire would do is they would sell this tax to the highest bidder, if you will, kind of a collection agency. So you would have these tax collectors that would take tax, and then in that, they were often, there was a lot of abuse that would happen. So we find out that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So he was very wealthy, and you may remember that one of Jesus' disciples were a tax collector. Everybody remember? Matthew, okay? So it's often why that when these tax collectors abused collecting taxes, it's often why in the Gospels they're associated with sinners, okay? So we'll continue in the story, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, he tried to get a look at Jesus, that's Zacchaeus, but he was too short. I love that. I mean, just no way around it. The Bible just calls him out. He was a short guy to see over the crowd. So because he was short and he couldn't see, Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, this is purely for fun and entertain me again if you were in Sunday school. We all know the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up and come on, sing it for Sycamore Tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. See, you've heard this before. And Zacchaeus, or Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Why? I'm going to your house today. For I'm going. There you go. Now, there's some people here and watching online that like, what in the world just happened? I have never heard that song before in my life. But for the rest of us who were in Sunday school in like the 60s and 70s and all that, that was a song that was taught to our kids. All right. So that's, thank you for entertaining me. Here we go. Verses, um, let's continue in five through seven. So Jesus comes by. Zacchaeus is up in a tree. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus. He calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, quickly come down. Jesus says, I must, I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the Bible says the people were displeased. He had gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner and the people grumbled. So Jesus looks and he finds his tree and he looks up in the tree and he sees Zacchaeus this hated person in the city, probably one of the most hated people. And he calls Zacchaeus by name. He doesn't say, hey, you. He doesn't identify him by his occupation the way everybody else was in the town. He calls him by name and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. But then he goes a step further and he says, I must go to your house today. And once again, just like last week, we find Jesus seeking and spending time with those that society rejects. And we continue in verse 8 and 9. We're getting close to the end of the story. The Bible says in 8, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responds by saying, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail of what happened when Jesus went to his house, but somewhere through all that, Zacchaeus was convicted of what he was doing, his stealing and his cheating. And then he not only repents and he asks for forgiveness, he goes to the next step and not to get into it all, but the amounts that he was willing to give back were far more than the law required. 
And Jesus says, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. Don't forget, all the crowds were saying, why is Jesus hanging out with this notorious sinner? The crowds were grumbling and they were displeased because Jesus was hanging out with someone they were casting aside. But Jesus calls him by name. He goes to his house and salvation comes to Zacchaeus and his home. And then we get to the most significant verse in all of this story. We find out the very mission of Jesus, why Jesus came. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke writes and says in 1910, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Throughout the Bible, Jesus loved people where they were. God loves still people where they are. Therefore, we love people where they are. This is the DNA. This is our DNA as followers of Jesus, and this is our DNA as a church here at ACAC. Now, this where, it's in green for one reason, because it's a twofold word. Where means two things. There's a going and there's an engaging. When we say we love people where they are, that means we need to go. There's an action that we need to take physically, geographically. We need to leave here and go there to be with people. But there also is an engagement aspect of this word. It's not that we just go and remain silent or we build up walls or a village. We go and we engage. We engage spiritually and we engage emotionally. Hear me in this. The DNA of our heavenly father is to love people where they are. It is the very meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel means what? God with us. God entered, he left heaven, he went, God goed, and he came with us through his son Jesus. He became the one and only son. He became flesh. He engaged with us through his son. He came to earth and engaged with humanity so that we could be redeemed. God met us where we are, and now we are called to do the same thing by entering into those lives of people around us. Last week, we looked at how the worship and the word are interconnected and how they transform people's lives. The Samaritan woman at the well, she tasted the living water. She had a spirit-filled encounter with Jesus. But she also came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. She understood the revelation of God. And in that, the very people that were in her village found out who the Savior of the world was, Jesus. After tasting the living water, listen to this for the Samaritan woman. This tasting of the living water, this experience, this Holy Spirit, Spirit encounter, and the faith that comes by hearing the word of God, it was never intended to remain within the four walls of the church. Us having a dynamic and encounter with the Holy Spirit in worship is wonderful. It's important when we honor God. When we hear the preaching of the word, it ignites and encourages our faith. But if it only remains in this room, we have failed. Loving people where they are requires us to go. We must leave the walls of our safe places and go where the people are. Now, most of us Jesus followers, ideologically, philosophically, we understand our mandate to go into all the world and share the good news of Jesus. All of us would shake our heads and say, yes, that's what Christians are called to do. We call it the Great Commission. commission. 
Pastor Bryce was here doing our hosting. He is our missions pastor. It's a reason that we're intentional about it. And we have a missions pastor to keep us on mission and point for the Great Commission. We all acknowledge that it is our DNA as Christians. We're familiar with these words in Matthew where we get the Great Commission. Where Jesus said and he told them, therefore go, there's the going part, and what? We're to go and make disciples where all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This same text is shared. Mark says it a little different, but he uses one of the same words. Mark's gospel says he told them to go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Again, this is why we put such priority and such intentionality upon missions here at Allegheny Center Alliance Church. This church has an incredible legacy of going and engaging the world with the good news of Jesus. Did you know that in our 127, 128-year history, not missionaries that we've supported, we have sent 110-plus, Pastor Blaine said it was probably, it's probably closer to 120, in the history of our church, I'm talking about 110 to 120 people from within our congregation have left this, this safe place and have gone to other parts of the earth to serve as missionaries. That is the DNA of who we are. There's an incredible story that I learned this week when God called one of this church's congregants to be a missionary in 1939. I won't ask you if you knew who he was. Some of you older ones, that's all right. His name was Reverend John Willinger. And in 1939, he was obedient to God's call to go to the island of Borneo, which is Indonesia. 1939. He left everything here from this congregation, and he went to be a missionary to reach the unreached Dayak tribe. Two years later, it was 1941, war broke out between the United States and Japan. Within two years, the Borneo mission had already seen 13,000, 13,000 members of the Daika tribe come to know Jesus Christ. 13,000 in two years. And one year later in 1942, John Willinger elected to stay to avoid endangering the villagers in the community and he surrendered to Japanese forces. And on Christmas Eve in 1942, three years after leaving this congregation, he was killed. And he was martyred for the gospel. That's the legacy. It's the DNA of this congregation. One far more recent, just last year, a family that if I said their name, you would know it. We call them R.A. and their daughter H. Sold everything they had. Left their jobs and their comfort of their home and took their daughter who was starting college and went to a nation that, if I said it, you wouldn't even know it existed. <laughs> but they're reaching today an unreached group of people, a Muslim nation. And they have invested and are investing two years to learn the language to engage with the people there. Let me ask you a question. What kind of love, what is it that drives someone like Reverend John Willinger in 1939? to go to the other side of the earth to witness the gospel of people? What kind of love drives a family here in this day of age to take their daughter to go to a country where they don't even speak the language to share the good news of Jesus? 
a person that knows and has experienced the love of a God who came to be with us. This is what loving people where they are looks like. It requires us to go. However, the people we are called to love and reach are not just overseas, and they're not just in other countries. And if I could be frank, truthfully, many Jesus followers are more comfortable going on short-term mission trips overseas and engaging with people on the other side of the earth than they are walking across the street and engaging with their neighbor. Sometimes we'll give and we'll go, and we should support all and go to all nations. But God has called us to reach all people, and for some of us, that means the very people that you work with. That means the very people that are in your family, the very people that live next door or across the street. And let me tell you, while I celebrate the great DNA of going and engaging in this church, we have not always hit the mark. And we need to be honest and acknowledge the times in which we failed. I shared with you in the very first week when we talked about that we are spirit-led in the 1950s and 60s, this congregation was actively engaged in supporting and going to the other side of the earth to reaching peoples and cultures of groups of people that did not look like them. And yet we, yet we failed to reach and acknowledge and engage with the very community that we were living in. We missed the mark. God corrected us. He convicted us. And we repented. Let's examine, though, the very last words of Jesus. If you go to Acts chapter 1. I mean, these final words of Jesus, we talked about this when we looked at John 17 because this was the last prayer that is recorded of Jesus. These are the very last words before he ascends into heaven. He's gone to the cross, he's been resurrected, and he's getting, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And these are the very last words that he says to his followers. The very men and women that are going to be called to, to share the good news, to plant churches and go. This is what Jesus says to them in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, speaking about Pentecost, listen to what Jesus says. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And then Jesus gets really specific. He could have just stopped and said, you're going to tell people about me everywhere. But he continued. And he described what everywhere was. He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Leave this slide up here for a minute. Why did Jesus go an extra step? Why didn't he just say, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to tell about people everywhere? Because he knew if he didn't get specific with it, their natural habit would be just to stay in their comfort zone of where they were. And Jesus challenges them and he says, no, you're to go to Jerusalem. Where was Jerusalem? That's where Jesus was saying this. He says, in your home, the very people that are closest to you, yes, take the Holy Spirit. Let it fill you when Pentecost comes. Share the good news with them in Jerusalem, but don't stop there. He says, Judea. What, was, what did he mean by Judea? Judea was the neighborhood. Go out a little further. Go into your community. Don't just keep it within the people that you know. Don't just keep it within your family. Don't just keep it with those people that are closest to you. Go beyond, go into the neighborhood. And then he goes a step further and he says, Samaria. We talked a lot about Samaria last week. What does Samaria represent? The people you don't even like. Jesus says, you're not off the hook. Okay, it's not just the people you don't know, other side of the earth. 
No, it's the very people who don't look like you that you misunderstand or don't get. It's the people who don't vote like you that you really can't like and you don't get. It's the people that you just don't like their personality. They don't have the right sports team. Whatever it is, you don't like them. God has called us to go and to engage. And then he says to the other part of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Loving people where they are requires us to go and it requires us to engage. I read a a fascinating statistic this week as I was studying for this sermon. Someone broke down all of the connections, the engagements that Jesus had in the Gospels, in the New Testament. There were 132 contacts with people that Jesus had. Think of this. Out of 132, only 10 were either in a temple or a synagogue. Out of 132, 122 of them, Jesus met in the mainstream of people's lives. He called James and John where? They were in a fishing boat with their father. He healed a lame man where? At a community pool where people were waiting to be healed. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house and he heals her in her home. Last week we talked about he went all the way to Samaria an area where Jewish people didn't go, and he went to a well so that a Samaritan woman who had five husbands could taste the living water. And finally, he goes to Zacchaeus, the man everyone in that town hated, and he goes and he finds a tree where he was up in, and he says, I'm going to your house. The majority of Jesus's interactions with people occurred on their turf. Few were in religious settings. Instead, Jesus talked about talked with people about spiritual issues where they were most comfortable. He did not need a special environment, and he did not need control over the circumstance to engage spiritually with people. What makes us think that it should be any different with us? You see, our Western mindset has taught us to reach people in our cultural context, but it's backwards. We need to have a missional mindset to meet people where we are. R-A-N-H, I just told you, I spent two years learning the language. When they go over, they're learning what food do the people eat, how do the people dress. They're engaging missionally with their community. But here in, in, in our context, we want everybody to adapt to us if we're going to engage. We need to have the same missional mindset in reaching the people here. The Apostle Paul, he understood this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look, he he talks about being missional and reaching people. The Apostle Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become what? A slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Paul says, I am free, but because I want to reach people to Christ, I will submit myself. I'll become a slave if it means reaching people for Christ. And then he gets really specific with this. He goes, when I was with the Jews, he he calls out a particular ethnic group of people, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. What were the Jewish people like? They followed the letter to the law. Paul was a Jew and he was a Pharisee. So he understood all the details. And Paul's saying that to reach more Jews for Christ, I will live and I will follow all of the law if it means reaching people for Christ. If it means reaching Jewish people for Christ, I will be a Jew if that's what God would have me do. But then in the very next sentence, he says this, when I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, explaining that a little further, even though I was not subject to the law. 
I did this so I could bring Christ to those who were under the law. He was adapting. And then he goes on, when I am with Gentiles, a completely different cultural group, a group of people who did not follow the law, a group of people that did not engage and even get along with the Jewish people. What does Paul says he do when he's with that group of people? When they, they don't follow Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. Do you get that, what Paul's doing? He's saying, I will submit myself to all the rules and regulations under the Jewish people if it means reaching more Jews for Christ. But I also will live free. I'll eat pork chops and chicken wings if it means reaching more Gentiles for Christ. Now, some of you, what happens with the law people, you get real concerned. You go, well, wait a second. Are you talking about not obeying the law of God? Are you talking about not being obedient and just full freedom and doing whatever you want? No. Paul says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. But he adapts. He says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. Why? Because I want to bring the weak to Christ. And then he says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Paul does not set a standard that he expects people to reach before he will engage with them. He adapts. His expectation with people moves depending upon where they are. We love people where they are. And loving people where they are requires us to go and it requires us to engage with people where they are. Once again, we have not always hit the mark on this as a church. I don't know when this happened. I believe it was in the last 10 years and I won't get specific with you, but we have had opportunities as a congregation to engage with certain parts of our community. But because they did not meet our spiritual expectation or our spiritual standards, we walked away and chose not to engage. And in certain parts of those communities, we're still paying the price for it today. At the beginning of this series, in week one, we talked about being spirit-led. I mentioned that there are some of these characteristics, some of these markers of our DNA that are aspirational, that we need to get better at. Frankly, we should always be growing and we'll never have arrived at any of the markers or characteristics. We need to continually be growing. However, this characteristic, loving people where they are, is one in which I believe that we need to humble ourselves, we need to pray, and we need to be far more intentional in the days ahead about going and engaging where the people are. And let me tell you and let me warn you, it may mean being misunderstood. It may mean people like those around Zacchaeus saying, why are they hanging out with those people? And you may hear some grumbling. I mentioned Rebel's Bar couple weeks ago and we laugh and we celebrate that now and we should but let me remind you when that day came and this the the leadership the elders were called to to buy a bar to to buy it this church buy a bar and sell it back to the community for the benefit of the community there were some who are no longer worshiping or they left the church because of it there was grumbling why are we doing that but that was it was one led by the spirit but two it was a part of the dna of loving people where they are So if we're going to live that out, we can expect that people will not always understand. But Jesus was misunderstood. Before we close, I want to give you an opportunity. I at least want to let you know of an opportunity 
an incredible opportunity for us to engage and love people where they are. I don't know if you're aware, but there are approximately 700 Afghan refugees that have been relocated from Afghanistan to Pittsburgh. 700. And they've come to Pittsburgh for resettlement. And I want you to think for a moment. Your occupation, your family, your home, your culture, your favorite stores, your favorite food. Leaving, being forced to leave your country, your land, and everything that is comfortable to you. Family behind, taking kids, and going to a place some 700, or not 700, 7,000 miles away. And finding a new career, finding a new home, and starting over. Can you imagine what that would be like? You can make a tangible impact right now. I'm grateful that one of the things where we have leaned in to loving people where they are. In 2016, I believe it was, when our nation was arguing about how to handle those immigrants that were coming to our country, who we let in, who we don't, instead of arguing about it and engaging in the cultural and political conversation of the day, this church decided we were going to do something tangible about it. And it was in that that there were ministries birthed for refugees and immigrants, things like kayak and many more. And so today, and a day comes where we have 700 people from Afghanistan that are relocating to Pittsburgh, we can respond. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you're asking, how can I love people where they are? There are three ways. You can make a tangible impact right now. One is when it comes to transportation. You may have seen some of these pictures. I saw them on Facebook or Instagram. There are some that have gone to the airport simply to hold up signs that said, welcome to Pittsburgh. Where people come and they get their luggage and they know nobody. They don't know the language. And all of a sudden they see people that are holding up signs that go, ACAC loves you. We love you. And we welcome you here. We're not turning you away. We're not mad. Regardless of where you come from, we love you and we're glad that you're here. For some of those folks, you can provide transportation to appointments. You can take them to the store. You don't have to buy it. You just take them and give them a ride. I mean, you can imagine going on 376 across the bridge through the tunnel and you're coming from Afghanistan. I mean, it's hard enough for us to do it and we know how to manage it. You can take people to stores and local Angus uh, agencies. So transportation is one easy way. Just signing up, say, hey, I'll go to the airport and I'll welcome people. Another way is resources, donating food, clothing, car seats, supplies, certainly um, giving financially. And last is connecting and coaching. You can show families around. Pastor Bryce told me him and his wife had a family over for dinner. They just had dinner for him. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. I bet you our pizza and wings are probably better than they are in Afghanistan. Get him some of those. <laughs> Make him a meal. Help him engage in our culture. Help practicing English. I mean, I mean, think about that. Just going to the grocery store, not knowing what Target is, not knowing what Giant Eagle is, not knowing how we do food, just simply helping them. This is a way in which you can love people where they are. They're going to put this to get involved. Um, I know your heart's probably moved in many ways. The easiest way, well, one, Pastor Bryce is here, so I'm going to put him on the spot. You can find him. He's the good-looking bald guy right down here, so just see him right after service. But if you're online or you're here and you want to go to our website, it's acac.net backslash missions. My understanding is you can sign up, give him your details, and we will follow up with you to help. But we need to love people where they are. Would you stand I need to wrap this up a little longer tonight, but we've done this each and every week. 
and I did it again. I asked you to stand before giving you opportunity to make the commitment. So I was spirit-led, and I'm just assuming you all are in on this. <laughs> we need to be a church that loves people where they are. We can never lose the passion that we have in fulfilling the Great Commission. I pray that we send another 120 missionaries from here Amen. to the other side of the world and go. But hear my heart, as much as we need to go and we do that, there are lost people in our city and our community that need Jesus. People that, to be honest, it's harder to have a conversation with them than it is someone in the Ukraine or someone in Africa or someone in El Salvador. But that's what God's called us to do, to love people where they are to engage with them. So I appreciate you standing and being committed to that. So Father, help us be more like you. Your son, Jesus, was amazing at that. God, you were amazing at that. We celebrate Christmas because you loved people where they are. You loved us. You chose to come and you chose to engage. I pray that we would do that well as a church. We commit that to you in faith. In your name. I promise we're going to dismiss in just a few moments. Just have a seat, if you would.